back on the trap line for episode 51 of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood, and I am super, super excited to be with you here uh, in my pickup truck in the middle of the woods on the way back home from setting traps. So uh, before we get into that, I want to thank Cots Brothers Lures. They bring you this podcast each and every week. Thank you very much to Kyle and Kellen Cots, and those guys have an excellent trap and supply company. Uh, great people to do business with, and very fast shipping. Uh, great, excellent service. And uh, check them out at kotzbros.com, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. All kinds of great resources there. So, so check them out. Support the guys who support the podcast. All right, so. We're gonna get into it tonight, and uh, I am—I'm just so thrilled to be here. I can't even begin to describe it. I feel like I got a new lease on life. So uh, we're gonna get into a little bit of the background. I guess the last episode, I was uh, coming to you from this same truck, and Cole Porter was helping me pull traps, and I was—I was in pretty rough shape. It was uh, about all the energy I had to. To record a podcast and at the time we we had to pull my traps so the week before I had set Martin and Fisher traps way out here in the big woods and I wasn't feeling great I hadn't been feeling great for a while I, I, I wasn't really sure what was going on but I, I just felt weird it didn't feel right it started on Wednesday I almost passed out and then I was just setting traps that Sunday so a few days after that and the symptoms had been ongoing couldn't figure it out but I thought I'll get better and I went out and I I just it was opening day and I had to get trap set so I'm just gonna take my time take it easy and I I get set what I get set and I'll go from there well uh, I figured I'd go you know I'd be able to go all day take you know going nice and slow and pacing things and it was noontime and the last three sets I just completely was out of breath my heart was pounding a thousand beats a minute I had bad chest pain I was scared that something was going to go wrong with me I was light lightheaded like like I was not getting any oxygen in my brain it was scary it was really scary I've never experienced anything like this before so uh, I had to turn back I got 18 sets in and I, I had it was noontime. I had to drive back home and go to bed, and, and uh, that kind of that kept going. You know that was ongoing, and I went to the doctors that week. I went uh, Wednesday. I got a bunch of blood tests and everything, and everything came back. It was all it all came back good, like no problems. They couldn't find anything wrong. So. Uh, you know who knows I just sat there and laid at home and and rested and in the doc was thinking you know we really don't know what it is it could be some sort of viral infection that that we were not picking up on any tests so just chill out and and rest and eat good and, and do not exert yourself and uh, hopefully it'll get better and it did not get better so then it started morphing into Anytime I would, I couldn't walk down the end of the driveway without being out of breath and having these chest pains. So I communicated those symptoms to the doc and they said, you need to go to the emergency room. 
So Monday, I went to the ER, and you want to talk about a whole series of tests. I'd never, I'd never been to the ER. Um, probably, I think I went once when I was five years old. So I've never been in my adult life really. Um, and it basically, the 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 gist of it is, we want to figure out, we want to make sure nothing serious is going on. Uh, and that was a fear I had was. Know, am I having a stroke? Or do I have a stroke or a heart attack or something? Because my chest just isn't right. So we did the EKG. They they hook you up and test your heart out. Did a bunch of blood tests and did a stress test where you run on a treadmill. Um, can't believe I got through that. Uh, did the whole thing and they, they kind of monitor your heart the, the whole time you're running and you get your heartbeat rate up to a certain beat and they see how if it changes. Long story short, after about seven hours in the ER doing, going through all those tests and stuff, I came out clean. There was nothing seriously wrong with me that they could find. So uh, the primary doc says there there's, could be some sort of viral infection. I uh, still, still thinks that's a possibility. The ER doc thinks uh, you're your body's reacting to too much stress and and I I tend to agree with the ER doc because I've been under a lot of stress and taking on a lot of things and I recognized it was it was piling up thing is I really thought I was handling it well and I didn't feel that it was affecting my health and, and it wasn't from what I could tell uh, but it's something to think about for anything that you do in life and, and I am you know, I'm eating my words because I was always that, you know, tough guy, tough as nails, uh, nothing bothers me, and I always thought, you know, guys that talk about having a nervous breakdown, those are a bunch of pansies, you know, they can't handle stress, what's wrong with people, you know, they're wimps. Uh, I'll never say that again, <laughs> because uh, I, I never realized how it actually can work, and how, how those hormones can affect your body uh, when your body's you know you're constantly experiencing elevated levels of adrenaline and and your your mind plays tricks in your body man it really is crazy how it happens and uh, what what the, the way the doc explained it is you know your body can take a lot and you can pound and pound and, and add and add and add to it he said it's like it's like adding weight to a pack mule when you're you're packing horses and mules you know, you can add a lot of weight to a mule and it's not going to complain. And it'll work and it'll carry the load. You get adding too much weight and that mule is going to start kicking. And it's going to kick back. He said, your body is kicking right now. And, and you're, you're experiencing symptoms associated with, you know, you, you just tipped it over the edge. So anyway, lesson learned. Um, I felt so much better after that. And... By, I, I rested and I, I had absolutely no stress associated with my physical condition. Uh, I was just chilled out and I, I was having issues. I, you know, I get short of breath, my heart started pounding. This was, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I just took deep breaths, slowed down, and said, you know what, your head, this is all in your head. Your body's fine. You don't have a heart problem. Uh, you're not stroking out. And you know what, it got better. And by last night, Friday night, I was feeling pretty much like a champ and ready to go. 
So I got all my trapping stuff put together and, and I was just so excited, so excited. All right, so now that we're caught up on that, um, I wanna talk about the, the trap line today. And this is gonna be, I'm probably gonna jump around because I'm, I'm driving in the dark here in a snowy, wet road and slushy and, and trying to focus on, on that and um, pretty well played out physically right now uh, so I'm probably not gonna I'm gonna skip a few things I'm gonna jump back and forth to different topics but I just uh, I want to I want to go over this trap line and kind of think about the things that have been running through my head and how I've been approaching it uh, over the course of the day and you know maybe you'll it'll help you or, or get you thinking about things that you do on on your trap line so I I made 18 sets on opening day, and five days later I pulled those 18 sets, pulled the traps out. I, what we're doing is trapping for Martin and Fisher using Lynx exclusion devices. So this is, uh, these are big wooden boxes that you gotta carry around and get to the location. I can only fit about uh, 20 to 30 of them in my back of my Ford Ranger and even less if I have a bunch of other gear. I had those 18 spots. What I did is is when Cole and I pulled those traps, pulled the traps out and I left the boxes there and I left the bait in them. And we caught two Martin and a weasel at that check and I was I was pretty excited about that uh, in, in general and, and I say that because that's a much higher percentage set-wise animal per trap night than I had last year. And that's to be expected because this year there's not a lot of food out in the woods. Uh, the animals are, we, we expect on years like this, the animals will come to the bait easier. And of course, uh, we didn't harvest a whole lot of Martin and Fisher out of this area last year, I can tell you that. For the area that was covered so there's a lot of animals out there and they're very hungry so coming back i i had to decide all right i got those 18 boxes they're already there what do i do do i do i just go and pick them up and throw them in the back of the truck well i couldn't do that because i couldn't fit them all uh, but do i do i pull out of those areas and go to completely new areas um, just a little background and I, actually I, I should mention to you that I just had an article published in Trapper's World magazine. So if you get that magazine, you know it's a, it's a really cool trapping magazine. Lots of great articles. The thing I like about Trapper's World is there's a whole wide variety of different trappers that write articles there. And, and it seems like every month there's someone new you never heard of. So this was my first article in Trapper's World. I really enjoyed putting it together. It was just an overview of my experiences so far as a Martin trapper in the different places that I've trapped, starting in Maine, going out to Utah and Montana, and then back to Maine. And one of the things that I mentioned in that article was the whole idea, like I've said before, is trapping like a kid, learning new things, trying to, to constantly never get myself stuck in a rut. And I feel like last year I got myself stuck in a rut. 
and the rut was I put out 60 sets and I I essentially I predetermined those set locations based on you know spacing on a map and going and finding good habitat but making sure they're half a mile or a mile apart and put out my boxes pre-baited went right back to those same spots on opening day and set traps and, and the entire course of the season I trapped for about a month and I did not pull any of those and I did not change locations or move them and I feel like that was a huge mistake on my part especially the fact that I wasn't having a lot of luck I'm not saying that I would have had better luck necessarily but I it's it's highly likely that if I moved to different locations I would have increased my odds of getting onto New Martin in New Fisher that's a lot of extra work both physically and mentally so it it's hard to break out of that cycle, but I was determined that I wasn't going to do that this year. So I had the 18, and I went back today, and what I did, what I decided to do is, because those 18 were only set there for five days. So, you know, it's, and, and another thing, I'm going to jump off on another little tangent. Let's talk about this. Uh, Martin and Fisher, our season begins around the 1st of November, uh, first Sunday, end of October to the first of November, somewhere in that range, and it goes to the end of December. Uh, but our weather changes so drastically; we almost always have bare ground on around the first of November, and we almost always have snow around the tenth or so of November, fifteenth. And that snow can melt by Thanksgiving. Recently, that snow has stayed when it. You know, long term, probably you can count on if, if you get snow around Thanksgiving, usually that snow is going to stay. I've seen it stay. I've seen snow come 2014, I think it was. Snow came the first of November and that snow stayed on the ground all winter long. And it didn't melt until the end of April, the following spring. So the weather can change pretty drastically. We can also have, we have had some years where uh, second week of December we still have bare ground and just a little tiny bit of snow and you could drive out anywhere with a pickup um, there's been years that Christmas time there's probably one year in the last 15 where Christmas time you could ride around with uh, a two wheel drive pickup out in the woods uh, but generally there's going to be too much snow so most of the, of the Martin and Fisher trapping is taking place the first the month of November but the month of November I mean depending on the year and depending on other variables like food these these animals can change in their tendency to go to go to your bait and to be catchable if you will uh, what I found is the warm weather early in the season if it's mild, they're really not moving much, and it's hard It's hard to make good catches. Uh, they're just not that hungry. Their bodies aren't burning a lot of calories. There's no snow on the ground, so they can search, hunt, and find food very effectively, whether that's uh, mast, uh, nuts and berries, squirrels, voles, uh, all those things, that, especially hunting for voles. I mean, they can do it extremely effectively with no snow on the ground. 
as so so that tends always tends toward a, a low catch rate early in the season. As soon as you get snow on the ground, it seems to change things. If you get two, three inches of snow on the ground and it's a good blanket of snow that's uniformly distributed, it seems like uh, because they're less effective at catching certain prey, your catch percentages seem to go up. And then that is compounded by cold, cold weather. If you have weather in the teens, teens and 20s with just a little bit of snow on the ground, it, uh, it really seems to get the fur moving around a lot. So there's all kinds of different variables and weather fronts come in, weather changes that tends to get them to move and so on. But in, in general, that, uh, that drives things. So the other factor here with deciding when to move based on weather, based on other things is uh, some animals will go, like fisher seem to, around here it seems like they'll run circuits a lot of times where a fisher will move through an area and then it'll be gone for several days to several weeks at times. So the reason why you don't necessarily want to, you know, I, I didn't want to go in five days, pull, and then be done with that area is, well, number one, those five days were pretty warm weather with no snow, very little snow on the ground. And also, that's a short period of time for an animal that might be still making its rounds. So what I decided, long story short, is I was going to go into those sets and starting with the first set, if the now, I, I set, I pulled five days later, and then there was a gap of eight days where those traps were gone, but the bait was still there in the box. And what I decided was, I'm gonna go back there, and in those eight days, if nothing touched that bait, I'm gonna pull the box, forget about that location for the year, set that box in the back of the pickup truck, and I'm gonna find a better place to put it. And if the bait was stolen and gone, then I'm gonna go the other way. I'm gonna reset the trap and stick with that. Now, if I'm running a string of 10 traps off on a road system by its own, uh, it's kind of tough if the la very last one has the bait stolen and the rest of them still have, <laughs> have bait in them, then uh, you know you kind of almost have to be all in or all out. So I, I, I battled that the whole drive up this morning. How am I gonna deal with this? So anyway, the very the first the very first set was a place where I'd seen a fisher cross the road opening day. I made a set there. Five days later, nothing, nothing touched it. I, eight days came back, and the bait was completely gone. So I'm assuming that fisher came back and and went in there and took the bait. Uh, so that was a good sign. And then the next four. I believe the next four boxes, the bait was gone. So that that was really good. And then I went through a string of uh, two or three in a row that still had the bait. And so I, I ended up keeping like uh, two thirds of that first string and then pulling, pulling maybe, I probably pulled a quarter to a third of them. So I ended up, I went through those first 18 and, and I had uh, probably uh, 13 or 14 maybe that or 12 or 13 that that I reset traps in the same spot 
and then I started improvising. So all this uh, going on, this was on the same footprint of the 60 sets that I made last year, those locations. What I did is when I was pulling, I didn't have room in the truck to, to and I had a, a bunch of issues, but I didn't get all my, most of my boxes stayed in the woods. And I decided to leave them in the woods because, uh, well, we got too much snow and I couldn't get out here anyway. But I thought, well, it's not going to hurt anything. I got them painted with uh, good quality uh, exterior paint. and They're going to last a long time. They'll be fine. Well, what I didn't factor in, of course, was the chewing. And, and there were critters chewing on the boxes all, all winter long. Uh, so about half the boxes had significant chewing probably a little less than half had to be replaced with different boxes which I, I brought a bunch in and what I did is I again going back to that trying to be adaptive and creative and, and everything I started going back along this old line and I, I, I decided to reset all of the same locations I set last year Last year was a total dud. I, I'm still banking on the fact that this is good habitat. Even though I had sets, a lot of sets that didn't get touched all year, I still strongly believe that this is this is Martin Fisher country. I'm gonna catch something. Uh, I want to go one more year in a year where there's not a lot of food out there, and they should come to the bait well. And if I have the same experience this year at a site, I'm done. I'm, I'm gonna move on uh, and go to a different, choose a different set location. Um, but I wanted to have that test kind of going through. So so I did that and, and what I was doing, I was going to my same old spots, but I started going down the road and I'd look at an area and, and you know, I don't have a trap. I get a stretch that's about a, you know, a mile, three quarters of a mile to a mile with no traps. And I look over and there's pretty good habitat there. So I did a lot of improvising. I had uh, I had a couple spots in between where the habitat looked good, and I made new sets. And then I had a couple of side roads where I I didn't take those roads at all last year because I had was running a lot of sets, and I didn't want to uh, I didn't have enough traps or whatever. I wanted to cover a lot of ground. And this year I looked and I said, you know what? I need to put a trap there. I need to go up this road, put a couple traps here. And the reason I'm okay with that is I'm gonna I'm gonna set likely looking areas, and in a couple weeks I'm gonna pull these out and I'm gonna move on. So I don't need to cover the whole county uh, with these 50, 60, 70 traps that I got out. I I just need to cover an area well and then move on. That's kind of the goal. So anyway, as far as uh, how much I got done today, it was it was a tough day weather wise. So weather, of course, is can determine a lot of the trap line and how you can operate, and not only how well the animals come to the sets, but what you can actually get done and how you keep sets working and everything. The problem is the weather forecast here has been almost unusable the last week or two. I don't know what's going on with our weather pattern. We got a lot of wind, a lot of shifting winds, southwest, northwest, uh, a little bit of east mixed in there. And 
we the forecast yesterday I kept checking the forecast and it changed five six times like every hour or two I check it and it'd be a different forecast we went from they were predicting uh, three four inches of snow and then another possibly one or two then uh, tonight I think so it was like it was like four to six inches they were predicting then it went up to as much as eight inches and then it went down to three or four inches and then finally last night the last time I checked it it was less than one inch so it had shifted it was going to be a little warmer instead of snow it was going to be rain and we're going to have less than one inch so I was getting all my trap and stuff ready we have a group of about 20 cows that are in a pasture next to the house and on about 20 acres and there really isn't much grass there and they didn't have any hay or anything so I decided do I need to bring a bale of hay or two for them or do I risk it the last weather forecast said less than an inch of snow so I figured they could pick through the grass with less than an inch of snow they'll be fine I woke up at five o'clock this morning and I looked outside and there was two inches of snow and it was snowing hard and the whole ground was covered with a coat of snow so <laughs> instead of jumping going down the road on the headed to the trap line which was two hours away I ended up going on the tractor in the dark and getting a bale of hay and running up the road and giving it to putting it in the pasture with the cows so they'd have something to eat today so I got 20-30 minutes delay on my start and by the time I got out here it was wind was blowing 10 or 15 and everything's coated with snow the, the roads covered with snow and slush and, and mud puddles are full of water the trees everything had a blanket of snow and it was kind of the snow was turning into a little bit of a sleety type stuff and just blowing around everywhere and it was just one of those days where every set, every time you walk into the woods, you get blanketed with snow on all of your clothes. Thank God for wool and synthetics. And, uh, some synthetic under layers and then some wool pants, wool vest. Uh, that really helped a lot. But it was just kind of wet, miserable. So it got me thinking about weather because there weren't a lot of, it was Saturday, it's deer season, there could be hunters out here but I saw two vehicles all day and I I put on uh, I don't know 90 miles probably something like that by the time I get get out to town here so seen two vehicles all day once I got past where they were I was on my own not a single track on, on my whole line and I got to thinking about the weather because a lot of people would wake up and look outside and see the forecast and say no not today now those of us who really love to trap and have a full-time job and don't have the luxury of going any day of the week we're kind of stuck we got a we got saturday sunday and the occasional holiday or vacation day so we we kind of have to go and, and I get to thinking about that and how I think 
that's what separates a lot of the hardcore professional trappers, which I have no nowhere near anything like that. But I'm just I'm just thinking of guys that have done this for a living and are are very successful. What separates them from the average trapper is that they don't care. The weather doesn't bother them. They they push through it. They they are so dedicated and motivated to do what they're doing that the weather has absolutely no bearing on that. I talked to a guy, I remember talking to a guy ice fishing on a lake a few years ago and he was a, he's a logger, uh, but not what you think, like modern day loggers, like 95% of them are sitting in a, a heated or air conditioned machine uh, with a comfortable cab and a radio going and they push buttons and pull levers and uh, operate uh, wood wood harvesting machinery. This guy was one of those old school guys that he cuts wood by hand with a chainsaw and a cable skidder and he's out in the elements all the time. He's just, it's brutal physical work. It is, it's probably the toughest job. I mean I do a little bit of it around the farm here and there and um, I've, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't cut, I haven't cut more than 30 or 40 hours worth this fall and it was it took a toll on me and, and these guys do it every day every week of the year so I asked him I said that's tough what you do I said don't you I mean what do you do when the wind's blowing 20 miles an hour when it's raining hard and the leaves and the trees are wet or there's snow and everything's just soaking wet he said we work he said if if I if I let the weather determine whether I was going to go out that day and work or not, he said, I wouldn't be able to get anything done. I mean, you there are so many days where the weather is a challenge that you just cannot rely on weather to, to allow you to, to do these things. So you just have to you just have to get out there and get it done. And I thought about that this morning before I got started setting traps and got all wet and soaked and it was it was one of those days, but I just kept pushing through. I was just so excited, man. I, the fact that I was, a week ago, I was bedridden and I couldn't hardly even walk around. And now it's like, I am I'm physically able to do this. And I always took it for granted. I'm just so excited. So I, all day, it was blowing, snowing, sleeting, uh, it, gloomy, cloudy, dark. Uh, it was just just kind of a miserable day weather-wise and I enjoyed every bit of it and I got done the last set um, so so you know last year I made 60 sets on opening day and the weather was perfect there was no snow on the ground everything was dry I had pre-baited everything all my boxes were set up the day before I had everything ready to go systemized and I ran I basically ran that today I got a little late start. I had the weather issues. I'm still a little bit slow and and everything uh, dealing with new areas and stuff. So I I got up 33 and I was pretty I'm pretty happy with 33 and I think I'm gonna be back in a couple days and I'll I'll try to get maybe another 20 out, 15 or 20 out to add add to those 33. But number 33 I got to the to the very end and I it was just starting to get dark you could 
you could barely see the last trap as I fastened the last trap I could barely see the wire um, you know un under the trees in the woods I come back out and, and looked out off in the distance I was able I was up on a high high spot and I was able to see way off in the horizon as the you know never saw the sun all day but just just before dark there was the sky kind of got a little bit clear and you could see pink uh, the clouds just had there was just dark purple pink tinge to the clouds uh, where the sun sun was setting and that was the most beautiful thing and I saw that for about 10 seconds at the end of the day and it was uh, pretty rewarding um, so yeah anyway just uh, running through that stuff 33 sets most the majority were 120 body grip sets with those smaller boxes uh, the rest were 160s with bigger boxes um, different things that I've used and tried uh, I'm using a variety of different baits I have some beaver meat that I ground and preserved and mixed up with some stuff uh, this this last spring actually I'm, I'm pretty low on that uh, supply wise I have a bunch of moose meat from roadkill I have a lot of moose I've been throwing in a chunk of meat and a chunk of I cut up the hide into different chunks and I've been throwing a little bit of hide in there I've got uh, rough grouse uh, scraps from animals that I've shot and friends have shot and saved for me uh, with feathers and stuff and I've got some chickens that I had at the farm that I had to get rid of so a variety of different types of, of meat but um, one of the big things I've been looking toward to this year has been visual attractor in, and inside those boxes the animals can't see much at least my boxes but they can see the, like the small boxes they can see in the opening that they have to go through to get to the to the bait uh, there's a little window there where they can see a little bit and, and what my thoughts are is if they can see uh, just a little bit of uh, some feathers or some hair or something uh, they that's going to increase my chances of them being kind of hitting that trigger like just need to take off and run towards that bait and catch it trigger that that predator instinct versus just kind of bare meat they might be thinking you know ah well something might have left that there or whatever I, I don't know I I think it's an edge uh, I also subscribe to the thoughts of Russ Carmen in one of his books on lure making he talks about the added attraction of a whole carcass with the skin included on an animal and he said there's something about uh, the skin that seems to add much more attractant to the overall bait. Um, I don't know what that is. I don't know if he completely knows why, but it seems to work. So, uh, I, you know, including like with the chicken and all that stuff and including the skin with the moose, I'm adding a piece of hide to try to get that effect. I've got my long distance call lure, the Trapping Today lure product. It's grease based, long distance call, lots of skunk and uh, other anisoil and, and ambrette and muscaro and, and tonquin musk, uh, a bunch of different musks, be beaver castorium. It, it's, uh, I have that above every single set. I have that about 
four to six feet away from the trap up high and that's uh, going to carry scent and and make uh, animals aware that something is going on at that location from a longer distance so we get them close and then we get them close uh, they hopefully smell the bait for a little added attraction i have been using a lure inside the box but i don't want a very strong overpowering lure so i'm looking for something that's going to have some good attractive scent um, it's going to either do one of two things or both it's going to either have a food type of uh, attractant to or curiosity i guess i guess we're we're working on maybe three different draws uh, the hunger the curiosity something different what's that doing there and then the the gland type of draw where uh, re, re, uh, relieving some of the suspicions an animal has about entering that box and maybe kicking in more of that territorial instinct so i know if you've heard a listen to past episodes i i've talked about it, i've railed on that a lot uh, but i think it's really important i think it's something that maybe we've overlooked uh, a lot of times and uh, who knows is it how important is it i think back when before we had these links exclusion devices and we just could set a 120 in front of a tree root and toss bait there uh, it it probably wasn't critical um, it maybe had less of a positive impact because the animal didn't have to go through a lot to get to the set but when an animal has to squeeze through a small hole or around a corner and can't see where he's going uh, the more work an animal has to go through to get to your set which is what these exclusion devices have resulted in uh, the less likely he's going to do it so you got to give him more reasons to do so so I think that's why it kind of elevates the importance of the lure. So I've been doing a little bit of an experiment. I don't know how meaningful the results are going to be because of so many different variables in, in, as part of this whole trapping game. But uh, what I've tried to do and what, I, what I've uh, successfully done thus far is keep keep very detailed records of which lure I use at each set. So I can go back and look at where I caught certain, where I caught animals, where I made catches, and maybe tie that in and see if there's one lure that seems to outshine the others. Um, I, don't, I don't think, the, at least in one year with, you know, the we're only able to the maximum of 25 martin and 10 fisher per trapper so if the stars aligned and had a magical 35 animals which is not going to happen but i had 35 animals ran through uh, this whole uh, array of different set types and locations and bait types and lure um, you're not going to not going to suss that out the first year but i think over the, the course of time uh, if there is a big difference, then we'll start to see some patterns emerge. Um, the three that I've been using the most are the uh, mustelid gland lure that I made up last year. Uh, you can look, I did a YouTube video on that last winter, and all I did was I took uh, the glands from all of the Martin 
fisher and weasels that I caught on the trap line last year. I ground them up, I, I ran them through a food processor, and I mixed in a couple of musks and let that set for six months, six or seven months. Um, and I've been putting that inside the box. Actually, the ironically, or, or maybe not ironically, the, the first two Martin that I caught this year were both uh, in boxes that I had used that lure in, so for whatever that's worth. But uh, the other one I'm using is Lennon's uh, Martin Super All Call. It is. It has a different, a completely different scent than any of my other lures. So uh, <clears throat> I, I like that. So so I've got three very distinct lures right now: the the Lennon's, the um, the, the Glen, homemade Glen lure that I made, and Ochiota Blast from uh, this guy Adirondack Trapper Company. This guy uh, up in uh, New York that that made this lure and that lure has a very unique scent to it as well it's it's got a oh man it's, it's very heavily heavy beaver caster type scent and and there's something else there added that i i haven't quite uh, figured out but sort of a uh, a tangy garlicky type scent but whatever it is um it's kind of it, it's kind of cool so trying that out, keeping track of lures, keeping track of where, what bait I used at which box. It's extra work. Sometimes you lose, it's easy to lose track, but uh, I think it'll be good information to have. So anyway, um, what else? Uh, interesting. Let me take a quick drink here and talk about a few other topics. Um, interesting observations today I had it was almost no opportunity to see tracks because it was actively snowing pretty much all day long so you'd have to be like right on top of an animal in order to see tracks they'd be super super fresh uh, that being said I saw two sets of tracks uh, a weasel must have crossed the road right before I got where it was and then toward the end one of the last the last two or three sets that I made there was a fresh fisher track that was hunting along the road you could see it come out to the road in between two of my sets when I hadn't made them yet and it, it was kind of going back and forth and it was like walking along the side of the road and kind of going in and out of the bushes you could tell it was kind of looking and then I lost it I track went back off the road and I went to my next set and I was like man do I set right where this track is or, or do I or should I maybe just wait because my next set was like 100 yards down the road I went to my next set and I look and a fisher had walked right by where my box was this has not had any bait or anything in it for um, almost a year and the fisher was hunting rabbits in there there's fresh rabbit tracks it was following uh, but it went right by where my box was so that was pretty exciting i don't know if he'll be back there but and if he does i don't know if he'll want to go in the box but um, i i'm looking forward to that that makes it really exciting to know there's animals there that's that's a good thing about the snow the bad thing about the snow is if you get too much of it so right now it's perfect 
Um, we actually have a cold blast coming and we are not going to get uh, whatever we get in the next few days, which it's today and Tuesday are the storms that they're calling for. I don't know, when I get back to town and get cell service, it's probably going to be completely different. But they were, they were calling for two storms and after today, the temperature was not going to get above freezing for the next 10 days or whatever the seven days, whatever the forecast was giving me. So we got at least a week completely below freezing. What that means is two things. One, none of the snow is going to melt, so it's going to be a mess. And if we get too much, it's going to be a challenge. And two, the good thing is the animals are going to be moving. After both storms clear through, uh, the weather gets super cold. There's all there's going to be a bunch of snow on the ground and there's going to be some hungry martin and some hungry fisher and i'm very very excited to have traps working on the ground for that event now the challenge is tuesday as of last night they were calling for five to eight inches of snow on top of i don't know we got three today probably three or four today probably three so uh we get up above a foot of snow in these back roads that are really steep and icy uh, it's going to be a challenge to get around with the pickup truck um, we can't use ATVs here that's off limits it's uh, landowners do not allow it so we're talking snow truck or snowmobile so I gotta get my truck equipped with some tire chains I gotta get those out and I have the snowmobile saga continues. <laughs> so I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to tell you about the snowmobile saga. So the I it's hard to find a good trapping sled trapping snowmobile that is in a guy's price range if you don't have a lot of money to spend and is reliable and is small enough that you can uh, go through the woods at you know you want a pretty narrow sled you want one I want one that's light that I can go on unbroken trails off-road uh, off-trail and not be uh, bogged down and stuck in the powder all the time so uh, there's a, a light affordable small sled is kind of what I'm looking for and, and uh, unfortunately nobody makes one anymore so the two that trappers have had a love affair with for a long time have been the Skidoo Tundra and the Yamaha Bravo uh, Yamaha Bravo is kind of I've really loved the Bravo. Uh, the Tundra was a good sled. It was a 250cc small sled, uh, narrow, uh, low, geared low. You know, topped out at 40 miles an hour. Uh, could pull very effectively, geared so that it could pull heavy loads. Uh, pull a tote sled quite easily with a lot of stuff in it. People loved that sled. Floated through the powder. Uh, the Yamaha Bravo is the same thing. Now the Tundra, they. The new Tundra that they make nowadays, the last several years, is a 550 sled 
that is uh, more than double the size of the old one. Uh, more power, but it's uh, you lose a lot of the advantages that the smaller sled had. Uh, the Yamaha Bravo, they just stopped making it. They made it from, I think, somewhere in the early 80s all the way through 2000 and something. And it went away for a while, and they're just making it in Canada, and then they started making it again for a couple years, and then it was done. Uh, the cool thing about the Bravo, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's a 250cc motor. It's a very small snowmobile. It's very light. You can pick it up, throw it around really easily. Is is a nice sled. And they made, like, all the years they made it, they made very little changes to it. So a lot of the parts are the same, the models very much the same uh, from the 80s all the way till they stopped making it. It's an awesome little sled, very simple, um, not electric start, but uh, <clears throat> it was one cylinder, easy to pull, uh, starts good, um, just, a, just a good all around trapping sled. A lot of people in Alaska and Canada love that Yamaha Bravo. Well, I had the perfect Yamaha Bravo when I lived in Montana. And that now that they don't make them and they come up for sale, everybody wants them. Uh, they're just uh, very hard to find and when they go up for sale, they go quick. Well, I found one for sale and I bought it and I used it. Montana did not have a lot of snow where I was. It was frustrating because I, I didn't really need a snowmobile, but I didn't know that at the time. Uh, but I took it up in the mountains, trapping Martin a little bit was a good sled. Um, I moved from Montana to Maine and I did not have room to move that with my with me. I was full. Everything my truck could, could haul was in the U-Haul and in the back of the truck. Uh, so I had no choice but to sell it and that hurt. I took a loss on it and I more than that I just oh man if, if I were to have it over to do again I probably would have paid um, I probably would have paid almost what I paid for the sled just to get it hauled across the country for me. That's that's how uh, that's how much I missed that sled. Anyway, I came back here, searched for five years, didn't find one. Uh, the Bravo I had in Montana was like a 2002, and it was a Bravo LT, so it was a long track. It was basically a sled that was made for trapping. It was had a nice long track on it still nice and light had wide skis that floated well um, had a big bar going all the way around the uh, cowling where you could grab onto the sled and, and pull it if you got it stuck it, uh, it had two gas tanks so you could go pretty much forever with it um, and it ran awesome had very little miles on it too so I I tried to find something similar to that when I moved back here and I never did a few years went by and I found an 88 so um, 15 or so years older but still a nice sled uh, didn't run as good had a few issues I used it last year for under ice beaver trapping it treated me very well but toward the end of the year it stopped 10-12 uh, cranks to get it started uh, just all kinds of issues with the way it's running so um, I have basically I will looking for six years for a newer Bravo 
uh, last week I was laid up in bed, you know, un- incapacitated, and two were up for sale. One was on Uncle Henry's, which is a lo- local swap sell uh, guide, and the other one was on Craigslist, and they were both almost identical to the one I had in Montana. One had 1,500 miles on it, one had 500 miles on it. And it was unbelievable. Well, turns out almost immediately both of them sold. Um, and I was, I probably could have got at least one of them if I, if I was well enough and I could have jumped in the truck and headed downstate. Uh, they were, one was two and a half hours away, one was four hours away. Um, I would have had one of those sleds. Um, I would have paid cash on the spot and, and had it, but as luck would have it, I didn't. So um, my challenge now is is uh, the next course of the next week or two is getting that sled that I have back to running condition so if we get two feet of snow on the ground, I can keep trapping or at least get my traps pulled. Um, that's always, always a challenge, but... Um, I'm excited because this time of year, the weather starts getting colder, snowier. It's harder to get around, but it's also better trapping. The animals are hungrier, they're reacting more, coming into bait, uh, searching more for food. Uh, this is kind of prime time for, for trapping mustelids, uh, martin fisher weasels. So I'm excited. Um, I'm just so pumped up, enthusiastic about the fact that I'm back trapping. Thank you guys for indulging me and listening to me ramble on. Um, I, I really appreciate it. I hope this was somewhat useful. I know we, I kind of was all over the map, but anyway, is what it is. And uh, thanks again, Cots Brothers Lures, for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you guys for continuing to tune in and talk trapping. Um, I'm very excited about the rest of the season. I hope you are too. I hope you're out trapping on your line. And uh, until next time, uh, get out there, do some trapping, and uh, take care. And I look forward to uh, joining you again.